How to dream, cowboys. Welcome back to the Westworld Fan Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about Season 2, Episode 4, The Riddle of the Sphinx. Written by Gina Atwater and Jonathan Nolan and directed by Lisa Joy. I'm James. And I'm Ryan. And this is the Westworld Podcast. So a bunch of hanging plot lines got resolved in this episode. One of the big ones in the way that everyone thought, and then one of the other ones, the one with Elsie, in a way that basically nobody thought. I mean, you use the word resolved, but in all honesty, this episode posed, I feel, a lot more questions. It, it didn't. It didn't answer. A whole lot, although the Man in Black slash William storyline, in fact, did. On the internet, this is quickly becoming one of the, it being called one of the best episodes of the series. And before we even start, James, I'll say, like, is this your favorite episode of the series, or do you still like one of the other ones? And what does it say about this episode that it is becoming one of the consensus best episodes according to the internet and Dolores wasn't in it. That's a great point. I did think it was one of the best episodes. Dolores is not in it. That's too bad. People are annoyed with Dolores this season. Including me, but to be fair to her, I'm not actually annoyed with Dolores. I'm annoyed with Wyatt, which can be misconstrued because... I think I'm actually annoyed with Ford still, which is allowed, because Ford is doing things, he's playing 3D chess still, we still don't perfectly understand where he is in the narrative at any given time, so I think we're allowed to be annoyed with him a little bit, we don't know what he's doing, and through him we don't know what Dolores is doing, so... There are a lot of questions, and like you just said, none none of them seem to be resolved anytime soon, but... In this episode, we get a bunch of other storylines that actually they are hanging, as you said, and we got some answers and some great one-liners that immediately punched the audience in the face. Ah, it was a great episode. Also, directorial debut by Lisa Joy, and she did such a good job. Yeah, absolutely. They should have her come back to direct more episodes because I thought the flow of this episode was great. I never felt bored. I felt like it was kind of a mile a minute and it was only the standard 60 minutes, but so much happened. Especially the James Dello stuff. The moments in time where we get to meet him over and over again. She just handles it brilliantly. And uh, let's just let's get into it because like you said, Bunch of stuff happens. Yeah, I think one thing that people liked about this a lot is going to be the first plot line we're going to talk about, which is basically an episode of Black Mirror that was interspliced between Westworld, this episode. Which is, it's tough to, okay, everyone's saying that it's basically Black Mirror, but that's hard to qualify because they're just labeling anything that has to do with advanced AI and consciousness switching with, hey, that's Black Mirror, but many, many TV shows and movies have done this in the past. It's not just Black Mirror that came up with it. Although they do say Black Mirror a lot because, you know, Jimmy Simpson was in Black Mirror this this season in one of my favorite episodes. But yeah, 
consciousnesses, multiple consciousnesses. Where where are they? Who who even who who knows? The episode begins with James Delos in this swanky one room loft apartment, having a grand old time, smoking cigarettes, jerking it, trying to pour milk into coffee, but not doing so good. When William comes to see him. Oh, you bringing up the 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 milk and the coffee was gross. That was the gross part. <laughs> Play with fire by the Rolling Stones is happening. Like Seven Nation Army in the last episode, the lyrics most likely inform the scene, but you're too busy watching the scene and maybe going back, you'll listen to the lyrics and, and see how it makes sense or, or how it doesn't. He's smoking Grillo's. He has his cigars. And right, we think he is in his home at this point. William comes to see him. He brings a bottle of whiskey. He's happy to see that. They start to have a drink. And William says that he needs to give him a interview, which will help him to create a personality profile. Delos gets pretty impatient and asks why they're doing this. And William tells him that it's to ensure fidelity before handing him a slip of paper. When he reads the slip of paper, he becomes a bit more docile and starts to understand what William is actually doing. When William brings him the booze, he says something like, that's great that you brought this because they only give me, you know, not booze here. So we get the first inkling that he's not in his home, or at least if he is, he's kind of on lockdown. So the last time we saw James Delos, he was coughing which is the thing that people on TV do when they're about to die. So the question at that point is, is he in a hospital? I don't know. Later, we get the start of another day. William is visiting Delos again, but James Delos is acting a little weird. He's like looking himself in the mirror, like, is everything okay here? William comes, and they're having the exact same conversation they had before. I think it's for fidelity, James. I believe it's the fidelity that that William is going for here. We see a loop happen, which were it's commonplace in the show, but we just didn't think was about to happen to both James and William. You get the feeling that William is running this because, you know, he knows what he's doing and James doesn't exactly know what's going on. William at some point is like, "Well, we're trying to just get a baseline for you. We're trying to we're trying to see what's going on, try to get your like sense of humor." James Dillis has a great line where he's like, you know, I own a biotech company and I'm dying from a disease that I defunded 15 years ago. So my sense of humor is intact, sir. When William hands him the piece of paper, this time what it is is the script for the conversation that they were just having. And Delos realizes the implications like, oh, shit, I died. Now I'm in a robot body. And, but he takes it pretty well. He takes it really well i think better than any of us would have you know like if you had heard that you'd you would have a tougher time than james delos does in that moment they let us know then that it has been seven years so this loop has happened a lot of times william is coming in and out of this place with a bottle of whiskey over and over again for fidelity delos says that he's ready to leave and William lets him know how his family is doing, but tells him, no, you can't actually leave yet. And just as he says that, Delos's speech starts to break down, and he can't really move anymore. 
So William leaves in total despair. He's really upset. And the tech outside says that they did pretty good because they made it seven days this time before pressing a button and burning the entire loft and James Delos alive. Yeah, they they go for a clean sweep, huh? Like, they don't just explode James Delos. They actually burn the entire room to the ground and then have to remake it. Which, if I was the tech who had to remake it, like, the day after, I think I'd have a bit of a qualm with that. Like, listen, why can't you just blow up the robot and leave the goldfish in the middle of the room that I believe is inferring James Delos having the memory of a goldfish? Like, we have to get a new gold... You keep killing these goldfish, and that's not very nice of you. James Delos says, like, I want to get out of here. I feel brand new. And William looks at him like, you, you are, dude. After, or before that, he also lets James Delos know the bad news that his wife died of a stroke. He takes that decently well as, just about as well as he took being told that he was a robot just now. He's getting a lot of bad news. You feel like this has happened before. The loop is occurring. This is seven years long. How many times has he learned that his wife is dead? It's a very Teddy moment. You know what I mean? Like, watching Teddy learn his existence. Watching any of these robots learn their existence. But in this moment, it hits pretty hard because you just found out James Delos isn't alive. He's a robot instead. And and that happened two seconds before he finds out that his wife is dead. Over and over yeah, it, and over. It's a bit like that early 2000 aughts cinematic masterpiece, 51st Dates with Adam Sandler. Every movie Adam Sandler is in is a cinematic masterpiece, James. If I'm the janitor at this facility and they're about to torch everything, I'm like, you know, if you're just going to torch it and then what, 3D print it again? Some pretty nice stuff in there. I'll take it home. You don't have to burn it all. It's a huge waste of materials and I could really use an armoire. So William goes to visit Delos again. It's the start of the loop, but now he's old William. You get an inkling of this when the receptionist shows up on the screen and it's a different person. And you're like, oh, time has passed. They have their same convo. And when James Zilla starts to break down again, William explains that what's happening is that he's hit a cognitive plateau. And that the mind can't really handle being in a robot body for that long. But it's really improving because they've reached day 35 this time. However, this is not the white hat William of yesteryear. No, he is gray at best, and but most likely a, a black hat at this point. Every time James Delos takes a drink, he says the same line over again, which is, you know, if you're going to cheat the devil, you have to give him an offering, which also might infer something about the scene. This is, I believe, 30 years later, and they've made it to 35 days, which is interesting because it's a departure from Future World, right? In the movie version of Westworld and then it, the following up sequel of Future World, they figure it out after the after the, you know after their ending of Westworld, which it also goes pretty badly, but apparently it comes back and then Future World happens and they're replacing senators with robots. They figure it out really quickly, but in the show you now get the feeling that because of how long James Delos is taking to change and how long it's taking for his mind to meld with the body, which it's actively rejecting, that 
it's going to take longer for them to produce a robot with a human consciousness in the TV series than it ever did in the movie series. William makes a comment that he thinks they're, they're probably just a few years away from perfecting, you know, consciousness transferal. So we're on our way to Black Mirror. We're not quite at San Junipero or White Christmas, but we're getting there. We're almost there. But he doesn't think anymore that it's worth the time or the money to resurrect James Delos and that maybe he's not worthy for immortality. Which is something Dolores has said recently. (laughs) That's right. He tells him that Juliet is dead. And Delos freaks out and starts calling for Logan, who is also dead. And then rather than, you know, put him out of his misery and kill him again, William locks him in there just to rot. And my thinking is, this is post the man in black going evil and killing Maeve. He's already done that, and he's full on evil now. Yeah, this feels like it was like two or three days prior to season one, episode one. Like, it was one of the last things that William did, one of the last things that he tied up prior to going into the park on his last mission ever that has turned out to be longer than expected. William drinks for the first time. He always kept saying, like, you know, it's always it's a little too early for me to start drinking. He drinks. He says he doesn't have the next two years. You're like, oh, my God, he's going to kill him. And then it's much worse because he doesn't kill him, which you didn't see coming as being a worse option but it absolutely is. The next plot line I want to talk about is Grace, the new character introduced in the last episode. We learned some big things about her. Or, you know, everyone assumed this, and then we learned it. But anyway, <laughs> the Ghost Nation takes her and some other humans through the wilderness at night. They're capturing a bunch of humans, but they're not killing them, including the silly newcomer couple who killed Hector in episode one of season one. They're back. They are back. It was so nice to see them. It's it kind of like I wonder if we'll get a cameo in this season of the woman who was with Teddy for that one episode in the first season who seemed pretty adept at at being in the park. Like because we just saw the the couple from the first episode whom we I actually I I absolutely love just that they're still in there and it gives you a sense that it feels like a lot of time has passed. But it really hasn't. Like, from the time in which that William was standing in front of James Delos and and leaving him there to rot, to right now is only like it's less than a week. Like, an, like the amount of time for us has been far and few between and a lot of years. But the amount of time for the characters is actually pretty small. As we go into the Ghost Nation, we don't see Elsie. Which is odd because everybody on the internet thought Elsie was definitely going to be there and definitely going to be the mastermind and that Stubbs was going to know that she was alive. But as Grace sits down next to Stubbs, who is also there and seems to know who this is, Grace that is, we don't see Elsie around, spurring more and more questions. Stubbs, it's his job to know a lot about the guests, I suppose. He knew all about the man in black as well. He tells her that he has an escape plan that he's ready to put into action, and she's not interested. She's like, no, I'm not leaving the park, but good luck to you. Yeah, she says something like, you know, other people tend to ignore the robot's narratives while I think they're pretty important, 
which feels like something the man in black also believes. And then they all get, I mean, some time passes and they all get taken to a second location. And if you know anything about kidnapping, James, which uh, apparently I do, the second location is the worst location. First location's okay. You get taken to a second location. You're probably going to die. I think they're brought to the ghost nation. Nah, ghost nation. I think they're brought to the ghost nation leader who begins to monologue and the comedy relief couple, they're just now realizing like, oh, we're not in uh, the game anymore. This is serious and we're going to die. But Grace takes this opportunity to escape and some warriors chase after her. And one of them, after she's gone, looks Stubbs in the face and speaks to him in perfect English. That is Akechita, the Ghost Nation leader, the one who will decide if they live or die. We saw him back in the Logan scenes where he was with Angela and walking Logan through the the test process, him him watching the robots for the first time and, and realizing that they were robots. Now he is actually playing a Ghost Nation character. He walks up to Stubbs at the end, like you just said, and speaks to him in broken English, or not broken English, perfect English. And it feels very much like Ford is doing the talking here. This is all sort of Ford's plan. And Ikechita goes up to Stubbs and, you know, and says, "You, you live only as long as the last person who remembers you, which echoes the man in black storyline from this episode 100 percent. so from there we're gonna go into the man in black storyline which i think it was okay probably the weakest storyline of the episode though i disagree 100 percent. i think it was the strongest storyline of the episode even though <laughs> even though bernie's storyline was amazing and so many things happened in the bernie storyline the man in black as my new protagonist uh, and and which is even further pushed to the truth this episode because Dolores, the given protagonist, isn't even in it and we still feel like we're following a character who we can be empathetic with. We are following the Man in Black's redemption story. For me, it's the center of the entire season. He's basically Jamie Lannister and he should watch out for his hands. So the Man in Black is season one style dragging Loris across the prairie. They come to a weird scene where some hosts are laying down other hosts as train tracks and nailing them to the ground. And Man in Black's not impressed. (laughs) He decides that this train track building is probably a sign that he's not the only one on the way to the door, to the glory, to whatever's out there. And he decides the best way would be to cut through Los Muros, where Lawrence's family live. He's being led... He, he knows he's being led by Ford in a direction. He says even, like, these tracks are supposed to go another way, and now they're going west towards a place where, assumably, they would like me to go next. The tracks, they stopped using actual tracks and started using people. As per Lisa Joy's Reddit AMA today, they were actual, they were people being used, but also hosts who were in charge of keeping the Chinese hosts from not building the railroad and when the hosts went haywire the railroad hosts were like yeah we're done with this both hosts and people you're now railroad tracks 
How do you feel about that? We don't care. Yeah, their cornerstone is building railroads, and no one's going to stop them anymore. Right, and they're going to go in any direction that Ford tells them to. When they arrive at the town, it seems deserted. They are able to order some whiskey from the barkeep, but... Dun-dun-dun, they're ambushed by the Confederale survivors, uh, led by the Major from last episode, and they're imprisoned in the church with the other townsfolk. As we know from last episode with Grace in the Raj, when you walk into a place that shouldn't be deserted and is deserted, something bad is about to happen. When the Man in Black and Lars walk into the town, they sit at the same exact table that the Man in Black and Lars were in in the first season when when the Man in Black killed his wife. The bartender comes out. He's still very shaky, which could be for multiple reasons. It could be because he's just nervous. But also, James Delos is shaking when he isn't being restarted and when his mind is kind of going. So it might be that the hosts who are just, like, allowed to be in the park and have been going and not restarted and not shut down for five or six days are starting to go a little insane just because their brains don't last that long and he's shaking because of that. So, you know... One of those reasons. Right, or maybe, like James Delos, they're meant to have begun their loop again at some point, and they're not, and they're reaching their cognitive plateau. Right, exactly. Like, they don't know where to go from here. They haven't gotten the violent delights have violent ends. They're not actually sentient in any way, so they just don't know what's going on. They're Bernie with less information. Major Craddock, as you said, brings... The Man in Black and Lars into the church. Major Craddock is looking for booze and ammunition and guns to go on his quest. He wants to know where the guns are. Lars is like, like secretly going to the Man in Black like, you know, I know where they are. But the moment we tell him where the guns are, he's just going to kill all of us. And the Man in Black's like, hmm, hmm, that's a good point. Hey, Major Craddock, I know where the guns are. Ryan and I did a Western movie club, and this is such a Western scene where the bad guy has the townspeople in the church, and he's making threats and shooting people. You gotta have that in a Western movie. You have to have that, although it did take me by surprise that they didn't just lock the church and burn it to the ground, which is the go-to movie move. When Major Craddock is talking to the man in black, the man in black is like, well, you kind of look a little beat up. And you look like you had less people than last time. What happened? And Major Craddock was like, we got turned on by this mean lady named Wyatt. And the Man in Black actually says, hmm, good for her. Why do I like the Man in Black? What, like, they've completely turned the Man in Black into the guy you're supposed to like. And I'm completely falling for it. You know, good on him for not holding a grudge against his ex. He's happy to hear that she's thriving without him. Yeah, well, a bit more than his other ex, whom, you know, killed herself in a bathtub and led to a future rain metaphor that we'll discuss. Lars remembers that the man in black has a daughter, so other hosts are starting to remember other things, and the man in black is, like, impressed, like, you you remember that? Well... Uh, okay, well, that's odd. And Lars is like, well, yeah, and I know you have a daughter. And so I bet you'll know the feeling of not wanting to get shot in front of your daughter. Your daughter would not want to see you shot in front of her. And the man in black was like, mm, 
I wouldn't count on that. The man in black gives up the location of the rebels' hidden weapons, and the confederales are pretty happy to get this. They got a bunch of weapons, and they've got some nitroglycerin. Again, what, the confederales love nitroglycerin. They absolutely love it, which is poor decision-making skills, because every time nitroglycerin has been added to this story, it ends in the confederados blowing up. He uses some of that nitro to torment and kill the barkeeper, which is the first sign we get that the man in black's not okay with this. He's like, oh, that barkeeper, he blew him up. I liked him. Right. Major Craddock is saying a few lines in this scene that are almost directly what the man in black said when he was with Lars here in season one. It's kind of like... Ford has been listening and watching the Man in Black very, very closely. And now that Ford is gone and the second part of the game is afoot, that Ford is using Major Craddock as a mirror for the Man in Black. Going like, you know, the Man in Black is a persona. It is a veneer that is not the real you. And so I'm going to put the Man in Black in front of you. And see what he looks like when you get to look in his eyes. And then get to see what you actually do in response. Which was not... You know, it's still... He's still doing things for self-preservation. He's still telling Major Craddock where the guns are as part of a plan to actually get out of there. But you do get the feeling, like you just said, that his level of empathy for hosts over the past 30 years has been nil... And then over the past three days, that's almost completely changed as he watches hosts act like him and then responds by changing his own actions and opinions. That night, the Major is beating up Lawrence in the rain. And then he goes over to taunt the man in black a little bit using some nitro. He calls over Lawrence's wife and forces her to bring a cup of nitroglycerin over to Lawrence The man in black thinks about his own dead wife, and he decides to rescue Lawrence and his family and kill the Confederales rather than try to work with them. This was my favorite scene of the episode. It was an actual battle scene where it was 1v, I don't even know how many Confederados were there, but the man in black had to kill them all single-handedly, and it's on hard mode now, so he doesn't just get to shoot at them blindly he actually like has to hide around corners when a confederado comes out of a doorway he's hiding and puts a gun to his head immediately and blasts him and i actually yelled at the screen like you gotta check your corners confederados if anybody knows in a video game and you go into a room and there's a corner don't just keep walking straight check the corner there might be someone there just waiting to shoot you in the face yeah, you know the man in black is a huge Fortnite player. He's got this all figured out. Yeah, man. He's living life in third person and actually looking into rooms before he goes in them. It's an expert level move. Yeah, he makes short work of the Confederados and then he forces Major Craddock to drink some nitro and then lets Lawrence blow his head off, literally. Which, Lawrence gets to say a bunch of fun things in this episode, but... And, and and this is, is one of those times where he's just like, you get this motherfucker. I actually don't remember exactly what he says, but I, I, I hope and, and pray it's something to the effect of like, get it, get it, motherfucker, die. <laughs> and he gets to kill the guy who 
was beating up his wife other than, you know, the man in black who, who did it prior. He doesn't get to kill him yet. And as that happens, I was thinking like, remember back in season one where the man in black had to ask for explosives to happen? Not so much anymore. Yeah, I guess Ford just flipped that switch on permanently. So you can just blow anything up all the time. Everything can blow up now. It's we you said I said it was hard mode. It's not. It's expert mode. Nitro's in everything. Everything explodes. The next day the townspeople are showing the man in black their gratitude. Except for Lawrence's daughter, who speaks to him with Ford's voice and tells him that if he's trying to get to the valley beyond, that he's going in the wrong direction. This is now the second time that Lars's daughter has been used by Robert Ford to get a message to the man in black. Robert Ford apparently really likes using children to give his messages. They're all his little elves and he's Santa and they're all just running around conveying his ideas and thoughts. As he says that to the man in black, the man in black doesn't exactly understand what he means. And I bet we'll talk more about it in the theory section But the line, if you're looking forwards, you're not looking in the right direction, is vague, but I feel like is a heavy line. It's weighted. It means something. So the man in black, Lawrence, and Lawrence's cousins ride out into the prairie as a new posse, and they come across Grace, who rides over to them and greets them and says, hi, dad. Confirmed, dude. Grace is Emily, and... Which, is is that confirmed? Is it is it not possible the man in black has two daughters? Yeah, sure. Yeah, it is possible that he has another daughter. But if, if it's not Emily, that would be kind of weird. It would be weird for them to just throw another wrench in the works. I, I don't think it is. This episode had two refreshing moments. The first one was when they were like, yeah, Logan OD'd and he's dead and he's not here. Which was, just, which was actually nice to hear because it's not a hanging thread. Although William could have been lying to James Delos in that moment. Logan could be alive and then this one where Grace slash maybe Emily rides up in a gray hat mind you to the man in black's posse who is who is is leading or trying to get up there to Maeve's posse as the number one posse and and, and I've said posse now four times I'm going to say it one more time posse fantastic (laughs) the longest the longest plot line of the episode is Bernard's, and I it was my favorite of this episode. Clementine, scary zombie Clementine, drags Bernard to the mouth of a cave uh, and leaves him with a shotgun. And there he finds Elsie. Whoa! In the last place anybody predicted that she would be just like in a random cave chained there for some reason. Clementine Pennyfeather, best name, still terrifying, still amazing, bringing Bernie to the cave. Feels very Ford-driven as well, something that Ford wanted to happen, because Elsie is in this cave. She's not running Ghost Nation. Again, this has only been like three days. It, it does make sense that she could live in a cave on power bars for only three days, but she was placed there like Ford knew she was in that theater, Ford sent Bernie there to choke her out, make her unconscious, and then put her in this cave because he knew that three days from now, he would have someone drag Bernie to the to the mouth of the cave. Which, by the way, when they got there, I was like, is Plato going to be in that cave? Is it just going to be Plato in that cave? Like, hey, let me shine this light. What, what do you, 
What do you see over there? But anyway. How long do you think it's been since that newcomer couple shot Hector in episode one? I think it's been, it can't be more than five days. Okay. And so what? And then so, so Bernard and Teresa broke up like the next night and then Charlotte Hale came like what? Like two days later and then all hell broke loose. Right. And then the next day after that is the Bernie and, and Charlotte Hale plot line. And where we're sitting right now is a little bit after that. Oh, I, I, yeah, a little bit after that because it's still like a week and a few days away from Bern Arnold or one, or the non-glasses Bernie waking up on the beach to Ashley Stubbs asking him how he got there. Elsie is not happy to see Bernard because she claims he's the one who beat her up, choked her out, locked her here with nothing but some protein bars and a bucket. Gross. It is gross. She had poop it in that bucket for days. Yeah, gross. She is able to grab the shotgun as soon as he frees her and points it at him, but he's not putting up much of a fight because he's totally, like, breaking down and stuttering. She doesn't know he is a host still, so she figures it out in that moment, which doesn't make her feel better about the situation, but makes her feel different about the situation. You said that she claimed that he did all those things, and that he did all those things. He choked her, put her unconscious, and put her and put her in this cave. So it stands to reason for her to be untrustworthy of this person slash robot as she finds out. He starts glitching out, starts saying cognitive lock d- during his glitching, and she logs in, and she's like, what, what did you do when you rotated out? You have a family and an ex-wife and a backstory. Oh, God. Yeah, and at first he says, you know, Ford made me do that to you. And she's like, oh, sure, Ford made you. And then she finds out that he's a host. Oh, okay, Ford No, 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 Ford literally made me do all of these things. We don't know what percentage of all of these things Ford is actually still in charge of. And this is all very confusing. Please don't shoot me. On the tablet, she finds out he's a host. As you said, she's totally shocked. And she decides to fix him, saying that he needs to answer for his crimes. He says, is this now, which... Minority Report reference. I love that movie. And Dolores said something like that in season one as well. He is is flashbacking so often and living so many lives. And Elsie even says, like, your memories are scattered. You're not living them linearly. They're just all over the place. So you don't even know where you are at any given time. That must be a wonderful narrative device. Right, he's unstuck in time like Billy Pilgrim, and so we have no idea where he is at any time. He starts to hallucinate, having a vision of himself, having been in this place before, and he realizes that there's a hidden switch which leads to an elevator. This reminds me of Dolores in season one who also had visions of seeing herself walk around. He is seeing in real time his past and and present life, which is... Must be tough to deal with. Elsie's like, you have an extensive cortical damage. Kind of like you shot yourself in the head. And he was like, funny you should mention that. They take the elevator down to an abandoned lab, which is full of some broken drones and some dead techs. Bernard flashes back to when this was all operational. He had been here, kind of dead-eyed. 
watching these experiments go on. Uh, then a drone appears, which scares Elsie. Bernard advises her that if she just doesn't threaten him, everything will be fine. And she shoots it dead anyway, which I don't think Bernard liked. No, he knew that the host wouldn't hurt her if there was no aggression in the situation. He felt the same way he feels when he's on that beach watching Revis step in front of that lady and watching all those hosts get ruthlessly shot down. This is his kind. Even the drones are his kind, even though he didn't know about them. And he still feels bad when they get totally murdered. Also, Bernie is saying is seeing way more doors these days. He can see, like, all the doors. Elsie finally gives him the fluid that he needs to get fixed, and he passes out. When she's done fixing him, they hear a banging on a nearby door. Elsie wants to investigate it, but Bernard tells her not to. He's starting to trip out a little bit again. They're the symbol that was on Grace's map and on Bernie's tablet when he was looking at Peter Abernathy is all over this room. So it, 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 this room pertains to what Grace is trying to find, what the man in black is trying to find and what Bernie already knows about a little bit because he looked into Peter Abernathy's head. At this moment, Bernie also lets Elsie know that Ford is dead. And she literally goes, oh, fuck me. And I was like, oh, my God, I missed Elsie so much. Behind the door, Elsie and Bernard find James Delos's swanky apartment. And he's still locked in there, having gone totally crazy and cutting his whole face up. Which, by the way, I need to say in this moment, when Peter Mullins' James Delos was introduced with a weird Irish accent that kind of changed every now and again a few episodes ago. And then even after that, at the coronation scene of, of William and James being sick, I was not fully sold on him. This episode, he might get an Emmy for guest star. He was so, so incredible. In fact, he needs to be next to Peter Abernathy, both glitching out simultaneously and have like a glitch off so he can see who's better at it. They're both absolutely incredible. He tries to attack them, and Bernard is able to bring him down. Bernard, Bernard, we realize, is actually pretty strong in this episode. This isn't the only person he's going to bring down. No, and we've seen Bernie fight in the past. Ford has made Bernie to be the recreation of Arnold, but at the same time, he was also Ford's bodyguard. So, Bernie can fight. He is very, very strong, and he doesn't even know it. And when James Delos runs at Shannon Woodward's Elsie, Bernie, without even thinking about it, steps in the way and lays him out, dude. Yeah, and in last episode, he one-shots Rebus, just, like, gets him in the sweet spot. Yeah, I, I think, as you said, he doesn't realize that he has super strength, but I think he is considerably stronger than the other hosts. He absolutely is. This is the moment where Elsie and Bernard realize that they are 3D printing bodies and trying to put human minds inside them. They also realize in this moment, though, that it's not going well. Because if this is the one, if this is the one example of how it's going, uh, it's bad. Right, but in the James Delos plotline, 
William did say, like, oh, maybe we're only one or two years away. Maybe that was two years ago, you know? Yeah, exactly. Which pertains to this next bark because Bernie flashes back again. And when they leave the room in which James Delos was and they and they and they burn him alive, uh, which is very nice of them, not like what William did to just leave him there to cut his face up into little pieces. When they leave again and look at all the dead bodies around this room, Elsie turns around and is like, okay, you can stay with me because this is all super messed up. But you have to promise me not to hurt me anymore. And Bernie looks at her like, oh boy, I cannot keep that promise. But he lies, or at least he doesn't lie, but... He he promises because he knows that's what he has to do, which may be something he may, wasn't able to do a few days ago. I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure, but he definitely knows that he's not incredibly trustworthy because he flashes back in that moment and sees what actually happened in this room. Yeah, he sees himself picking up the control unit made for somebody else, ordering the drones to kill all the techs who helped make it, and then break their own necks. One of the humans is still alive, so Bernard personally curb stomps that guy to death. Yeah, American History X curb stomps him into the ground. He comes back out of it. Elsie's like, you're not going to hurt me, right? And he's like, um, y- yeah. <laughs> We're going to be fine. We're going to be totally fine. As long as you have no follow-up questions, Absolutely. In that flashback as well, Bernie grabs what looks to be a red marble, another consciousness perhaps, and puts it in his pocket. So, yeah, we don't know whose control unit that is. This is before Dolores shot Ford, and it could be a number of people's, but it's Ford's. It sure might be Ford's. Or or Arnold's. (laughs) Right, or Arnold. So, yeah, and we'll talk about this in the theory section, but... I think it's Ford, but if it were Arnold, based on the theories that I've been reading, it would be neat. This was a brilliant episode. I think one of the best, absolutely. It's got such great reception, and I think Lisa Joy needs to come back and direct more episodes. And not only episodes of Westworld. I'm honestly sad that Game of Thrones is currently filming and picked all of their directors for this year because she should have gotten a shot at one of those. I don't think she could have because she's doing her own HBO show. But, you know, during Westworld offseason, other than writing the show, she should direct more things, by the way. All right, we are about to get into wild conjecture and theories, and so if you want to keep your soul pure and not hear us potentially spoil things in, in, in case we're super prescient, this is your chance to get out. Exactly. If you want to be virgin olive oil, we are about to be Popeye eating spinach, talking about the, the, the dope theories. So, you know, stick with us. If you want to hear, if you want to hear all the, the good goss, the hot goss, you know what I'm saying? And if you're not into the theories and you're about to head out, go like us on iTunes. Thank you. All right, well, we got some tweets and stuff to discuss first. We got a lot of love mail this time around, and then a couple of theories. Scott at Scott AMCG says, Loving 
the At Westworld Ryan podcast, recapping episodes and discussing all those juicy theories. The multiple Bernard and B equals T theories need to be discussed next time. What is he talking about, B equals T? Bernard equals Teresa? No, Bernard equals Teddy. And that Uh... Teddy is in the water and dead, but his consciousness is inside Bernard. I believe people were thinking like Dolores did it. But this also kind of goes straight into the, is that Bernard host that wakes up two weeks later still Bernard's consciousness? Or could it be Arnold from that little marble? But if it's Teddy, that's even crazier. I didn't think about that at all. That would be nuts. And then what, like Dolores is inside the Stubbs host? If they just start switching actors and like and Ashley Stubbs has to act like Dolores for an episode, I think it would one be dumb, but two be fun to watch. Lee at Lay Lee ninety two says At Westworld Ryan, I have been listening to you guys since season one, episode one. Honestly, a big reason I'm so into the show is because I want to hear you guys. Can't wait for y'all to have sponsors. That's such a nice thing to say, Lee, and uh, we love you. Seriously, we also can't wait to have sponsors. Hit us up, sponsors. Yeah, or you just, I've said this before, just mail Ryan money. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't think you've said mail Ryan money before. You said, like, send nudes to his Snapchat, and I was like, no, do not do that. But when you say give me money through the mail... Also, don't do that. Use the internet. Dean Wallman at DWallM at Westworld Ryan. I think you hit on the wrong show for a crossover in Game of Thrones. Think more of another bad robot slash J.J. Abrams show. An island, multi-timelines, Jack, Sawyer, Harley. He's hinting at a lost Westworld crossover. My God, the madness. The madness, the insanity. Although... When we met James Delos this episode and we saw him in his white apartment, it was very Desmond D. And if you haven't watched Lost, then that doesn't matter to you. But it it felt like they, if it wasn't a tribute, they were at least calling out to Lost a little bit this episode. So, makes sense. Scott. Again, at Scott AMCG writes, On the subject of the Ghost Nation theories of human protectors, notice how the Ghost Nation aim their attack solely on the hosts chasing William, Dolores, and Lawrence in the trump Loy season one. Looks like something to me. Yeah, and now we find out that Elsie has nothing to do with it, and that the Ghost Nation is just acting on their own accord with Akechita as their, you know, leader, which... At one point, it's just Ford talking to Stubbs through Akechita. So how much is Ford a part of this Ghost Nation thing? But also, there are theories on the internet that say that Ford kind of just discovered that the Ghost Nation, because of who they are and, and what they started to believe in, that the people who were running the park were the actual gods, the people who the Ghost Nation revere for being healers and for bringing them literally back to life. And perhaps they're just trying to protect human beings because they want to. And it's actually a tent pole in their sentience. And Ford knew it was happening and let it flourish rather than making it die. So that theory is becoming more and more relevant now 
that we know that a human being slash who we thought was Elsie is not having to do with what the Ghost Nation is doing. They are making, to some degree, their own decisions. Uh, Our most hated rivals, Westworld the Podcast, uh, (laughs) posted a GIF comparing some of the shots in this episode to shots which basically happened the same way in Lost, kind of saying the same thing. Yeah, I mean, there's a riding off into the sunset shot in this episode that looks a lot like Unforgiven. While this is a this is a uh, it's still a western, you know, and every now and again you kind of forget that that it because it, it's more of a robot show than it is a western show, and you get the lost callouts during the robot portions. But to me, the parts where you where you are forced to remember that this is also a western, and you see silhouettes riding off into the distance as the sun sets, you're like, oh yeah, westerns. Well, we got a message on Facebook from Yolanda B, who says, You guys, thanks for having this podcast. I used to listen to the couple of the other guys, and I really had to force myself to keep listening. One of the podcasters comes across as a bully and gets really intense about things for no good reason. Sounds like somebody I know. I liked the insight and questions input from other listeners, but listening to the podcast wasn't very enjoyable. I did a search for other Westworld podcasts and tried out three more before finding and loving yours. You guys have the insight, the input, and you're freaking funny. Hashtag dong watch is what every show needs. No dongs no this episode. Dongs. That takes it down from a 10 to a 9. <laughs> uh, well, I- I'm glad she doesn't think I'm as big of a bully as that other guy is. Although, you even really... That's, I mean, you're you're the mean one, James. You're, you're, the, Simon, you're the Simon Cow. I'm Paula Abdul. Nah, man, I'm not mean, and I don't project. You're the one who's projecting all the time, all right? Not me. <laughs> you're projecting like a like it's a screen in front of you, and you're giving a PowerPoint presentation, mister. Yolanda B. goes on to say, which brings me to something I noticed, Tallulah Riley's hair in this season. Did someone try to scalp her or take the switch out of her brain? Is she wearing a bandana to cover the wound? I think you mentioned, Ryan, she has like what, like a crown of thorns on her head. She right? actually has a crown of thorns on her head. Right. And as I said last episode, the showrunners are assigning Jesus, like assigning the character and mannerisms, not mannerisms. They don't know what Jesus did, but they were, they're assigning the metaphor that is Jesus in the Bible to many characters at many different times in many different ways, and that is one of them. Yeah, the Christian imagery is out of control. God ought to sue them for copyright infringement. He would win. To be on like Major Craddock in front of the church, drinking out of the the goblet, and uh, it, and you know, and he literally says, "He's like, by the way, uh, I was resurrected recently. Anyone, anyone know anything about that?" Any of you resurrected recently? Yeah, I don't think so. She also says, do you think Dolores ever went out into the real world? Or were those buildings and houses within the park? The man in black has his own home in the park where he has his hat and his drinks. Younger Robert Ford had a house where he quote unquote lived with his family. And why wouldn't Bernardold have a house within the park as well? It looks like Arnold was building his house in the outside city that they were in during the 30 years ago timeline where Logan and William went to sleep and Logan was looking at all the robots, which I think we, based on where the island probably is, which is outside of China, it was probably a Chinese city. And it did look like 
and Dolores has has mentioned a few times that she believes, at least, that she was on the outside of the park, and I think she was too. I think those scenes were the robots outside of the park, and Dolores would have been more used more often, even if Arnold didn't pull her off the line because she he thought she was too special. Well, I absolutely think the man in black has a house in the park, since he basically owns the place. He could probably have a pick. He probably has a house in every single park. Not that he ever goes anywhere, but yeah, Westworld. Yeah, the park is his house. So, now let's talk about the theories that you and I have. Obviously, everyone's going to say that control unit made at the end of the episode is Ford. I think that's a little too obvious, so it's got to be a red herring. I'm thinking the way that they solved the problem of the cognitive plateaus that James Delos was having is that Robert Ford has found a way to kind of crowdsource his consciousness. So there's a little bit of his consciousness in every host in the park at all times. And so he can bounce in between them kind of like the way that, you know, Bitcoin, <laughs> the, the the encryption for that is stored on everyone's computer at once. You know what I mean? Yeah, like a register that has to check itself for errors. I like that a lot. I the it, Like uh, Ford building himself in as a blockchain through the mesh network uh that's a that is really cool i i I think the red ball at the end is somehow ford's consciousness if it's arnold's consciousness and they're trying to and and he and they're trying to actually or ford is prior to his death purposely recreating arnold and and trying to put him back in bernie that would also be really really cool and would explain why Bernie breaking up on that beach was was even as disoriented it is a disorienting situation so it makes sense for for Bernie to be disoriented but it would even make neater sense if he was Arnold on that beach but yeah I mean we saw that body being 3d printed in the secret log cabin experimentation downstairs where Bernie didn't see the door prior to him murdering Teresa with his brute strength. So he could have used that 3D body and watched himself in his own office for years and years and years, mimicking exactly what William was trying to do with James Delos. But Ford by himself could have literally outshined and outperformed his entire staff. Do you think that's the one up that he has? Like, you tried this for 30 years and couldn't get it down. And I copied myself successfully by myself. So suck it. Yeah, and it kind of shows, you know, Bernard killing everyone in that lab and that being what William thought must have thought was a secret project. Nothing goes on in the park that Ford doesn't know about. And he was probably monitoring that James Delos experiment the whole time and when it got to a point where he could use that he's like, "Okay, we'll shut it all down and kill all these texts cuz now it's mine." Yeah, he checkmated at a moment in time that they didn't believe a checkmate was actually possible. Ford is a smart, smart guy. So is William. And they're both doing separate things over these last 30 years. But what William doesn't know is getting him into this situation now. And what Ford does know made him dead slash perhaps a consciousness in the ether. So who's better off, you know? So I was wondering... Since you're all ups on what the internet's got to say, 
Is there any theories abound about what is in the valley beyond or the glory or what what the hell is, is that thing? So, if it's not what that underground lab basically was, like, the one theory was that it's just a bunch of labs where it's the underground place where Bernie kind of just walked into and they go to create uh, hosts that look like humans and are becoming humans, but it kind of looks like that happens in multiple... By the way, there are underground labs everywhere in this park. Almost too many, I'd say. Do you have an opinion on that, James? Well, I was going to say, in hindsight, we should have watched Future Worlds, as painful as that experience would have been, because now they're referencing it like crazy. So I think in between this season and next season, we got to get on that. We got to recap and review Future World, and then... As painful as this would be, we got to go through that, like, six-episode failed TV show beyond Westworld, because they're probably going to start referencing that, too. Fine. But I'm not going to be happy about it. And regarding <laughs> regarding your Valley of the Great Beyond question, if it's not just a giant lab where they're making hosts... the the other theory is that it's just the big data center where they've kept all the information over all these years about the hosts or not the hosts the 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 guests who have entered the park like it's where all the dna stuff is it's it's where they're keeping just all the information that they could copy the world over and put them into host bodies once they figure it out or perhaps ford already did figure out and i believe another theory was that it's just a giant satellite dish that can load into the mesh network around the world where hosts are sitting in wait. But I think, yeah, the prevailing theory now is that it's just a big database. I think the answer is in one of those terrible Beyond Westworld episodes. <laughs> yeah, I I, I, uh, I hope so if we're going to watch them. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, if you're just listening, that means a lot to us. If you want to go the extra mile, you can follow us on Twitter. You can follow us on SoundCloud. You could like us in the podcast app. That helps the people find us. If you want to get engaged with the pod, send us your crazy theories and comments on Twitter at WestworldRyan or email them to us, thewestworldpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Facebook. We're the Westworld Podcast, not Westworld the Podcast. Fuck those guys. <laughs> You're becoming much more aggressive towards them. I haven't brought them up once, and then we brought them up once, and, and now you're just, and you're, you have, you have spite in your heart. I don't think they listen to this podcast. I don't think it will ever actually matter. But you know what? Uh, as you just listened, James and I don't even agree on what we think is the best storyline. So please let us know what you think the best storyline is, who you think the protagonist is, who your favorite character is, who your least favorite character is, and why. And then go back and watch this episode again and watch the Men in Black compare the rain falling on his head while Craddock gets shot and he realizes that Craddock is his mirror and then, you know, puts it up against the death of his wife as the water drops out of the bloody bathtub and tell me that the Man in Black storyline isn't your favorite. What are you, crazy? Sorry, I'm just trying to start Mad Beef with Westworld the Podcast starring... Rames and Giant. Wow, you're saying they're n- wow, the dude. You're <laughs> you're looking for like a celebrity death match, like we're gonna get in a ring and box each other. <laughs>
And join us next week for when we recap and review episode five, Akane no Mai. I'm James. We're going to Shogun World, baby. And I'm Ryan. And this is the Westworld Podcast.